So Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 30, hear the word of God. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The grass withers, uh, the flower fades, uh, the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, Jesus speaks to us in this passage about uh, neighbors. And while I haven't seen the recent movie by the same name, uh, Seth Rogen and uh, J- uh, Zac Afron, uh, I've seen a few of the previews, even, even just some of the previews and the battle that ensues between neighbors, uh, let it be pretty clear when, uh, when like airbags are going off in unexpected places, uh, shooting people uh, different directions, uh, makes it pretty clear that it's not always easy being a neighbor. Um, of course, the movie, it's a comedy, it's taking things over uh, the top, showing how bad it could get uh, when you have a couple with a baby living next door uh, to a fraternity. Um, and uh, it, it looks hilarious, but I haven't seen it. Um, regardless of whether you've seen it or not, still most of you have, um, have had or do have uh, neighbors who are a bit difficult, have been difficult at the time. Maybe that's roommates coming late and... Turn the, turn, the, uh, turn the thermostat down low when you're not there. Uh, maybe that's sweet mates that just have been a little bit irritating. People in your hall or apartments, or even just growing up in your neighborhood, uh, there are some neighbors that you really enjoyed, but not all of the people uh, in your neighborhood. Uh, there was others who were irritating, uh, some that you particularly avoided, and then others, right, that we just, that we just don't even really know who they are. Yeah, who, who lives in that house? I never, never see them, never talk to them. Uh, it's not easy being neighbors, but the Bible gives very clear command that starts off this uh, dialogue of uh, this lawyer uh, with Jesus. The Bible gives very clear, even summing up the law, uh, one of the things it said is that we're to love our neighbor, even to love uh, our neighbors as ourselves. So Jesus' parable here comes as this answer to the question of this lawyer, okay, but but who is my neighbor? And it says, he, seeking to justify himself, said, uh, who is my neighbor? And right, it's a, it's a common question and maybe a common sentiment when we, when we look at that uh, command, but it's not necessarily an innocent one. So the question we're asking is, who do I have to love? With the implication, who do I get to not have to have to love? 
Who do I not have to deal with? The implication is certainly a son can be excluded. I can't be required to be after, after everyone. What if there's wild fraternity brothers that move in right next door to you? Or what if you're trying to have a party and there's this annoying couple that keeps calling the police on you or, or, or whatever? Um, uh, is, is there some uh, caveat there that, uh, that gets, us, uh, gets us by? Um, I want you to consider for a minute as we, as we look at this text um, just how incredible Jesus' answer is. Because uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan is one of the most uh, well-known stories of the Bible. Uh, to the extent where there's people that know very little of the contents of the Bible who are still very familiar with the phrase or the expression of being a good Samaritan. Uh, they might not know that there was a place uh, called Samaria, and people from that were called Samaritans, but they still get what's being described when you say, oh, we need to be a good Samaritan. Um, it's had that much impact and effect on us in our culture and our context. And you can imagine just how much uh, less effect it would have had if Jesus had just replied uh, with a clear but truthful uh, answer. Who is my neighbor? He could have just said, yes, everyone is your neighbor. Um, anyone who you come across is someone that you're called uh, to love uh, as your neighbor. Or he could have said, even in light of the parable, uh, whoever needs mercy is your neighbor that you're called uh, to go and to reach out to and to love. But instead, he tells a story uh, to this lawyer for his disciples, uh, for his church, uh, for his people, uh, that we get to hear here. It's a, it's a story that captures our imagination. If you're, you might be already just so familiar with the story that we read it and you just go, yes, yes, I know the, I know the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it was fun for me to stop and slow down and feel the way that the parable uh, pulls us in different directions as we feel differently about uh, each of the characters. As we go through the passage, what we're going to do is kind of look at it through the lens of each of the different characters. But in this story, we're given perspective uh, about ourselves, about the way that we live. We're given perspective about the world around us, but more than that, we're given a perspective about God's kingdom about Christ as the king and his kingdom and how we're called to live in it. But this parable, I hope as we go through it, uh, also helps you see yourself. Because <clears throat> almost no one disagrees in principle, right? Like, should we love other people? Should we love our neighbor? In, in our culture, in our context, almost everyone is going to agree with that principle and say, yes, that's good. We should love people around us, love our neighbor. This is what we're about. Almost no one disagrees in principle, but everyone falls short in practice uh, as Christ draws it out for us uh, in this uh, parable. So what kind of neighbor are you? And the ways that this passage uh, interacts with us, it calls us to ask that question about ourselves. What kind of neighbor are you? Do you, do you love your neighbors? Uh, do you love them as yourself? So first of all, let's look at uh, needing mercy, because certainly that became true of this man who Jesus tells us the story about who was traveling. Uh, he wasn't doing anything wrong. Uh, he hadn't offended uh, anybody. Um, he hadn't hurt someone. He wasn't running from the law. He wasn't getting into trouble intentionally. His, his only crime, so to speak, was that he was vulnerable. I think we've all been uh, vulnerable at times, whether we ended up being hurt uh, or, or not. 
We've been vulnerable, and we know the feeling of that danger. Historians talk about this, uh, this road that led from Jerusalem down to Jericho, led from the hills up in uh, Jerusalem all the way down this winding uh, path, some 17 miles or something down uh, to Jericho. It twisted and turned back and forth along the sides of rocks and even, even caves that were there. And it was an area that was known at times for there being uh, bandits and robbers who would hide out there in some of the caves. And he would then look for easy opportunity of prey of people who might be walking by. And so this guy, as he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he was mobbed. Uh, people jumped out on him, beat him down mercilessly to within an inch of his life. That's essentially how the pastor describes it, with no one to intervene. And they beat him and wound him until they finally leave him, having even taken his clothing. Uh, he's bruised and bloodied and wounded. And the image we're given of him, uh, whether conscious or knocked out cold, uh, he's hurt so badly that he will surely die without help. It's the idea of the expression, uh, half dead, which is literal. Uh, from a, it means he was about to die. So if it's true of anyone, it was certainly true here of this man who is traveling but he was needing mercy. He was needing help. And I think when we hear this uh, description of, right, he's given as just a generic, uh, nameless person, because it's a story. This, this certain man, this man uh, went down. When we hear that generic, nameless uh, person's misfortune, we hear the story and we, we long for something. We, we long for him not to just end up dying. Here he is, left for dead, but that's not right. Uh, we hope for some sort of rescue. We hope for help. We hope for life. And I think we do that in part because we know it could have been me. Been in enough similar situations or left vulnerable in different types of situations. It, it could have been me, and I would have wanted someone to come help me. Maybe we look at it and say, it could have been my brother or my sister or my friend or someone that I know and that I love and that I care about, and I don't want them to uh, just die. Uh, being set upon unjustly without, without any cause. So even as we read the story, we long uh, for some help for them, uh, needing mercy. So, so let me remind you just a little bit about, about your neighbors, about our neighbors, um, and how they need mercy. Sometimes that might be uh, just your neighbor who is your roommate, um, who maybe never lets on, uh, but still feels very lonely and excluded, uh, and wishes they had someone that they could trust more and things to go do. They feel out of place, even in the room, maybe together uh, with you or in other places. Um, maybe your friend who holds on to a, to a secret uh, that eats away uh, deep within them of things that have happened uh, to them or in their life and is too scared to speak about it a lot aloud. Maybe that's the person in class with you who just found out their parents are getting divorced and they're trying to pay attention to what's being said, uh, but their mind's still stuck there. It's the guy or girl a few seats over with the eating disorder who really doesn't know how to be free from it, doesn't know if they want to be free from it or to break that. Maybe it's the friend that you think you know, but whose finances are tighter uh, than you ever realized. Uh, maybe it's just the guy who sat near you at lunch, um, but whose relative is dying of cancer. It's the person down the hall who found themselves uh, deeper into drugs than they ever expected, 
Um, and they feel like they've had a good first year, but they're not sure what to think of themselves now or how they're going to get things back, to, back together before uh, the end of the semester or the year or the summer. I, maybe it's just your cheerful pal that's always joking and, and bringing the mood up, but inside they're actually struggling with depression and hurt and pain and cutting and thoughts of suicide. Maybe it's the girl who dresses too sexual because it's the most power that she knows, that she needs. Maybe it's the guy who's such a show-off because it's the only way he knows how to feel good about himself. Uh, or the one who just doesn't know what they're going to do this weekend and is worried you're going to ask them, and they're already wondering what they're going to say in a few days when someone asks them because they feel way incredibly too insecure about even just questions about daily life like that. Um, these are your neighbors. This is, this is you. This is the people around you, right? I won't like start going around and just describing uh, each of us, and y'all could describe me, but, uh, but we're, we're in need in work of, of mercy. We're just talking about us around you, the people on the campus, not even going uh, into the impoverished and the homeless and the hungry and the needy in Tallahassee, uh, or especially the depths of that need as you go out into other places of the world over. It's not only the people around you, uh, this is you, this is us, because we miss this parable uh, if we don't connect with how much we're needing mercy. If we don't read this parable uh, with empathy and connection to the person who's uh, left half dead on the road, not that we've been half, left half dead somewhere uh, or, or certainly traveled down the road uh, to Jericho, but that we've been wounded, we've been hurting in different ways in our life, and we've needed help and mercy that we couldn't get from ourselves, that we long for someone else uh, to, to speak into us or to help us out. Uh, it resonates with us, I would say, in a deep core and gospel way within us. That apart from God's mercy, outside of us coming to us, apart from God's mercy, we're helpless. Uh, we're not just helpless, uh, we're hopeless, uh, lying half dead on the side of our road. We're not able uh, to get ourselves out of the mess that we found ourselves in. And that's just of a broken and hurtful world and things that people around you have done uh, to you and that you've experienced. Or that's just your frustration with a broken uh, self that doesn't meet all the goals uh, that you wanted or the ideas that you have for yourself or the expectations that you think others around you have for you to be good or right. And we can't do enough uh, to cover our sin, to cover our shame, uh, to numb away our guilt, uh, to satisfy our desires for being successful and great and on top and being happy. And we need the one who tells this parable to intervene for us. Uh, we need there to be a different ending to this story uh, because we're also the ones needing mercy. But your neighbors... All the people in this room that you're with and the people that you'll pass uh, the rest of the day and the next day and the weekend and be in the stadium with, uh, your neighbors are people who are needing a mercy in a way very similarly uh, to you and to all of us. Needing mercy, but secondly, uh, we see a refusing it. Next, we see two men who refuse mercy to the one in need. Uh, though at first when we're reading the story, we, we don't realize that. 
If you think through what it would be like, a first reading of the story, or maybe for you it is a first reading uh, of the story, we hear there's this person, he's left for half dead, and then, by chance, a priest is coming down the road. Uh, And our hearts are like, great. Uh, Maybe even how good of God to send someone who would pass along before this person has died, uh, someone who knows him and cares about him, and maybe here uh, something different can happen. Here's a priest uh, who who no doubt uh, knows the command to love your neighbor as yourself. A priest whose job it is to care uh, for God's people, to help them relate to God and be reconciled to God, who so then regularly interacts with conveying God's mercy as his profession, as his job. Taught on it, he's displayed it. A priest who we're deeply disappointed with uh, when we hear that he did nothing. As the passage says, that when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But again, he's just Levite. Our hopes look up because another person is coming down the road, uh, and just a bit after that, this Levite. Levite, again, who would have known this principle well to love neighbors as yourself. Levite, who again had the role, different from the priest, but still uh, the role of keeping up with things in the temple, signs of God's presence, signs of God's mercy that they would have been involved in. Sacrifices and what all. But again, he sees the hurt. Uh, He sees the dying man. And he crosses to the other side to avoid him, and passes by. So though mercy was desperately needed, uh, here with these two men it is definitively refused. They're refusing mercy. We read the story and we're, uh, we're ashamed of those two men. Or we think that those two men should be ashamed of themselves, even within the story. They're those that we quickly uh, despise. And it's kind of interesting. Commentators will go back and forth over, uh, you know, well, were the, were the, was the priest or the Levite, were they concerned with defilement? Well, they shouldn't have been concerned with defilement because they're not actually going to Jerusalem. They're going perhaps along the same way the road this man was away from uh, Jerusalem. But everyone agrees, no matter which excuses we pull up that maybe they had or maybe they worried about, uh, everyone agrees that whatever excuses they had, they're all lame excuses. They're all sorry. Uh, they don't cut it. We read the story and we quickly know, oh, that's not what you should have done. And they, I mean, they could have had somewhere really, really, really important to go. And they still should have stopped. Um, still should have cared for them. Um, they, uh, the bandits could have still been lurking not far away, hoping someone else would stop. It was a risk. It was dangerous. But it doesn't matter. Uh, they showed horrible character, a failing of some of the most basic of ethical principles, uh, and it's inexcusable. And it's not just that they didn't do anything or that they ignored, because they actually refuse to show mercy. And the story is not that they didn't notice, right? It's not that they didn't notice because they were just walking down the road too caught up in themselves and they had their phone out and they were texting and they didn't even notice that there was someone like moaning on the side of the side of the road as they were going. It's not that they happened to take a different path and while they heard something they thought maybe it was an animal and they never saw the person and so they really didn't, didn't know. They saw the need. They saw the need. They had the ability to do something and what they chose to do was cross over on the other side. They were refusing to show mercy. What was in their power to offer, they refused. And we think it's shameful. 
rightly. Listen, however shameful their actions may be, one of the sad things is that we can relate. Parables expose them. We look at it in the parable and go, those guys are horrible. Uh, and we would hope that we would never do things like that. And then we've already mentioned a lot of those needy people all around us, and there's very few that we've spoken to, interacted with, offered friendship uh, to. I think we can, uh, most of us think of times where we just kept going, so to speak, with what we were doing, instead of stopping uh, to get involved. And maybe, maybe we saw how much trouble there was, um, and we knew that it was more than we could handle. Or maybe it seemed too risky to say hello, or to ask what was wrong, or to offer a hand. Um, but whatever excuses, they fall short. I'm not saying you've never, you've never helped others. Uh, some of you do that very, very well. And I love just watching that of y'all with one another, even just talking and welcoming people uh, here. But unless we're lying to ourselves, I think there's times where we can relate. We can see ourselves uh, too, all too similar uh, to the priest or the Levite here. Now, I think Jesus' point goes even deeper to the religious leaders of his day as who he's uh, even speaking about. Those who went about their way talking about God's laws and God's rules and their own self-righteousness. Um, who tried to lead the way by their example, uh, though they left people hurting uh, as sinful and dying beside the way because they couldn't produce the same level of self-righteousness uh, that these uh, Pharisees, religious leaders, could. Or because they uh, refused to freely uh, dole out God's mercy to those who were hurting and in need and broken and wanting help from God. Uh, because they refused to point people to the source of God's mercy uh, in Jesus who is sent from God himself for us. And again and again, the religious leaders of his day back away and back off and distance themselves from Jesus to the point where they decide uh, he is the enemy and he needs to be uh, killed, eliminated, and crucified. Jesus is making a point about them. But according to God's law, neighbors ought to be loved. Neighbors are to be uh, loved even as yourself. And these men are those who refuse God's mercy. Neighbors are to be loved, and particularly loved even as we care about ourselves. And so as they refuse God's mercy to them, the implication is that these are those who uh, would refuse God's mercy uh, themselves in Christ. Because they've refused God's mercy in Christ, neither do they offer that back to, to others. It's a shameful a waste to refuse God's mercy who offers his son to us freely. It says to all who would believe, who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will not be put to shame. They will be rescued and helped and brought into Christ's kingdom. It's a dangerous thing to be refusing mercy. Needing mercy, refusing mercy, uh, thirdly, uh, showing mercy. Uh, lastly, we come to uh, the Samaritan, the Samaritan, not said this in the parable, whom we so uh, commonly and rightly call good, and we call him good because of this singular trait, showing mercy. Uh, the Samaritan, if you don't know this biblical cultural uh, history, the Samaritan is the bad guy. 
You notice he was the bad guy in the story, right? The Samaritan's the bad guy. He's the outsider. Uh, He's the imposter of God's people, not really uh, the true ones, the rebel, uh, the enemy. John 4 tells it plainly, Jesus' conversation with a woman at the well who was a Samaritan, and it just says, "For for the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They were the other. We don't, we, don't, we don't talk to them. They're outside. They were looked upon as uh, ethnically and racially inferior, as religiously and ethically uh, inferior in the mind of those who are hearing Jesus. So when we watch the priests pass by on the other side, and we've watched the Levite come by on the other side, and now there's a Samaritan, well, of course, he's going to pass by on the other side. Uh, But instead, something else. Uh, He saw uh, the man and what? He had compassion. Uh, The idea of that is he was moved within him, this feeling of love and pity that that moves him to respond and to do something. Uh, Because he saw someone like him, someone needing help and needing mercy, and he knew he had an opportunity to, to share that. Uh, And he feels compassion and interacts uh, with it. So not only are the priest and the Levite as bad as the Samaritan, which they would be frustrated if they heard the story that way, uh, they're they're worse. They're worse than who they would have seen as the enemy. Uh, So the Samaritan, he moves toward the man. He went to him. Not away from him on the other side. He saw him and he moved uh, toward him. And if you think about it, you can just notice how impressive uh, his treatment is in, in every regard. Because uh, his journey all of a sudden changes abruptly. Right? We're not told where was the Samaritan already on the way to, but he's not just like, oh, you know, I think I'll just pass by this way. If the Samaritan's in uh, this, part of the, this part of the world, this part of the country, uh, he's, he's got a purpose. He's got business that he's engaging into. And all that uh, changes and is put on a back burner uh, as there's something else uh, that's needed uh, with much cost and with much sacrifice to himself. Talks about him getting into the blood and the bruises of the cut flesh uh, to bind it up. Uh, to, to heal the man, whether he's unconscious or whether he's awake and groaning. Uh, you know, some of us, we see blood, we're ready to turn the other way. I'm not saying that's a problem. Oh, you have to be like... <clears throat> but here's this man, he moves toward this. Uh, his blood, his cuts, uh, his bruises. He pours out uh, his own oil and wine on them to clean them, to, to sanitize it. And gives him his own uh, donkey, horse, whatever it is. Puts the man uh, on the animal. Uh, and walks himself so that he can get the man somewhere safe. Takes him, I don't know whether it was out of his way or further down the way, uh, to a safe place where he, can, where he can tend to him even more. He's not like, well, I passed him up, hope he wakes up and ends up somewhere okay. Uh, no, I'm taking there, calls to myself. Doesn't just leave him, hey, now there's other people around. I did my job, someone else needs to pick it up from here. Uh, no, he takes him into the inn. Uh, pulls out his wallet and said, here's money. Here's Daenerys is, is, uh, is a day's wage, but apparently an a, a inn would have cost, uh, according to the commentaries, like a twelfth of a denarius. So he's saying, uh, here's money for him to stay here uh, more than a week if he needs it. I want a safe place for him to be able to recover in, even if it takes such time, uh, some time. And he even sets up, because he still has to leave, he sets up someone else to take care of the man while he's gone. Right, says to the innkeeper, uh, listen, this should help you be able to take care of the man while he's here. If he needs anything else, uh, please provide that, and I will pay for it when I come back. 
Uh, in other words, innkeeper, if you were just thinking about taking this money and ignoring the man and doing what you want with it because this guy just dropped him off and wasn't going to do anything anymore, I'm going to be back here in a week or two, and I'm going to ask what happened. And if you need more money, I'm going to be giving you more money if you're using that to help him. <clears throat> uh, but here he's, he's, uh, he's, he's assuring the caretaker will do the work. I pay you when I come back. However much we may have expected to dislike or disapprove of the Samaritan or the audience then would have, uh, our hearts are relieved uh, and thankful because he's proved the hero, uh, the rescuer, the savior, uh, all out of him doing what? Showing mercy. Uh, showing mercy. Now, I don't want you to only relate to the other characters of the man who fell or the priest and the Levite. Uh, but to, to relate here to the Good Samaritan uh, as well. <clears throat> to Really, to be, be encouraged when you've played the part of the hero or just the helper uh, to people around you that needed something. And you noticed. And you cared. And you were moved with compassion. Uh, and you wanted to do something that maybe felt small to you or maybe it was more than that. But you've given comforting words to a friend. You've walked with them through difficult situations. Maybe you've known the cost of helping others. Uh, it was difficult for you. You did it willingly, not just looking to, to get some favor back from them. There's been times where you've uh, given up and sacrificed without looking for something in return. You've, you've not only felt compassion, uh, but you've acted on it. Uh, you've shown mercy time and again. Uh, they're, they're neighbors whom you've loved. Uh, maybe even loved at times as you would yourself even those who didn't deserve it. And so as Jesus says here, I want to uh, encourage you to continue uh, to go and to do likewise of those you meet along the way, with those that are in need of mercy. But, but let the parable also remind you that showing mercy is not something that should have a tight fence around it. Uh, it's not only for people who are like you, that you kind of know and get and hang out with, and so you know their struggles and you, you do things with them. It's not, it's not just for those who are like you. It's not just for the people that you enjoy. Maybe different from you, but you've really built a relationship. You've just known each other for a while. You've been in the same place. <clears throat> uh, it's not just for them. Not offense. It's not constrained uh, by ethnic differences or similarities. <clears throat> it's not constrained by race or by culture or by background or by style, or by appearance. Uh, why do people who are good-looking tend to receive more favors and interactions from people? Um, <clears throat> mercy not, not, shouldn't be limited. It shouldn't be limited by religious agreement, by political agreement, uh, or whatever other ideologies motivate a lot of the ways that we act. It's not for the wise more than for the foolish. It's not for the strong more than for the weak. It should be given fully and freely to those who are in need, wherever you may come across them. And that would not might change your plans. Listen, the, the true outsider who came to show mercy to us, to show mercy to us in our need at much greater cost to himself and the Good Samaritan uh, is the one who tells the parable of the Lord Jesus uh, himself. And so for many who thought that they had no place with him, this person outside from another place, another culture, another environment, 
or for those that thought that he would care nothing about them. Who's going to expect a Samaritan to stop for this Jew? But our God has come to give his life uh, for rebellious humanity. He gave up his life as a sacrifice of bleeding and dying and being condemned for the sin of the world. That we could receive mercy. That we could receive forgiveness and love and acceptance from the Father to be brought into his uh, family and to be healed. That we would not be left by the side of the road struggling and hurting with no one to do anything or no way to be rescued. He came, uh, and he loved, and he showed mercy. So, so even now, as you point to Jesus and the things that you say uh, and the things that you do, you continue showing uh, his mercy, needing mercy, or refusing mercy, uh, and showing mercy. What kind of neighbor are you? How do you you see yourself? How do you love your neighbors? Because neighbors can be difficult. Uh, Your roommate can be one of the most annoying, difficult uh, people for you, depending on how you got matched. You know, now there's more and more systems for how people can find someone that maybe you'll get along with, because everyone's worried about how that conflict is gonna go, because it's so difficult to love your neighbor. Neighbors can be difficult, even the difficult ones, maybe especially the difficult ones, are also needing mercy. And you're needing, you're needing mercy from them. <clears throat> and really, I would encourage you to take some time to just uh, even think about your neighbors, the people that are on your road and your path and your way, that you would pray for them, uh, that y'all would talk with one another um, <clears throat> about how you can love others better, how you can show mercy more individually and together. There's plenty of need uh, right now, right here on the campus, among the people that you're already uh, with. And there's more in Tallahassee. There's ways that you can find and get involved in that or talk to me. I'll tell you places you can volunteer and help. Uh, And there's much, much more in the world around us. So maybe it'll happen on your way to class. Uh, Maybe it'll happen on a trip to Orlando uh, sometime. Maybe it'll happen on the ways to Moe's. But look for it. Uh, Look for ways uh, to show mercy. Listen, uh, the lawyer from his conversation uh, wanted to justify himself. Uh, He started off trying to test Jesus. Uh, He asks him, uh, he's saying to him, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Listen, I want want life, I want a place in the kingdom, but what am I supposed to do to this? Jesus kind of gets, he understands that the person's testing him. So he says, hey, you're the lawyer, you're asking me? Well, how do you read the law? What does it say? understands it well. He tells him the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So how's Jesus answering? All right, you're looking to eternal life, to inherit life by something that you do. You know the law. Go and do it. Uh, uh, do this and you will live. But the man desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? He's a lawyer. He's looking for a loophole. Uh, He's looking for some way to say, yes, I haven't done that perfectly, but I'm still right, aren't I? I'm still okay. I still have a place in the kingdom apart from how well I've followed uh, these rules, at least if I've done it uh, fairly well. He wants some exclusion, some permission, some loophole that made him still right. And and we know better, or scripture tells us better, 
that we can actually freely admit that we have not loved our neighbors perfectly or nearly as well, even as we should, that we've seen things and refused mercy and gone the other way. We can <clears throat> freely admit there's times when we've been selfish. There's a lot of times when we're selfish. It's hard to love other people the way that we love ourselves. <clears throat> but we don't need to look to be justified by our behavior. Uh, when Christ has shown mercy, when Christ has justified us, uh, been able to call us righteous because he has fulfilled uh, the penalty for what our mistakes, what our not loving other people demands, the way that we read the Levite and the, and the, and the priest and we want them thrown out, he's been thrown out and condemned the way we deserve. And yet he's also been raised to life to continue to offer mercy. Uh, he and his perfection of obedience uh, says that those who call upon him are clothed in his our righteousness, that we don't have to be uh, justified by our <clears throat> obedience. Christ has justified us through what he has done. He's shown mercy. And so, those who have received mercy and received God's mercy, so we're not just look to, hey, is there a loophole that excludes or am I okay enough? How well have I done this? But we've received mercy so that God says, uh, you have done well. You're my child whom I love and I delight in. We've received his mercy. We're the ones most called to share that mercy with others. As God has treated us with all we have done against him, uh, so those who are around us, we are to love and treat uh, well with mercy. So, so show by the way that you live and the way that you uh, treat others, uh, help the people around you to think of you as neighbors. 